0: Good morning. As Josh just said, our Bible reading this morning comes from Psalm and it's chapter 32. You can find it on page 446 of the Pew Bibles or it will be on the screen behind me. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord, and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart.
1: Friends, uh, good morning. So good to see you here this morning as we worship God together and hear from his words. Uh, psalm 32 is a very powerful psalm and a very humbling psalm. And in his book, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey, tells the story of a Ku Klux Klansman named Henry Alexander. And uh, it's a terrible story and uh, I'll try to move on, I'll let you know what happened in so, 1993, a Ku Klux Klansman named Henry Alexander made a confession to his wife. So go back to 1957, he and several other Klansmen had pulled a black truck driver from his cab, marched him to a deserted bridge high above the Swift River, and made him jump screaming to his death. Alexander was charged for his crime in 1976, and some 20 years later, but he pled innocent, and was acquitted by a white jury. For 36 years, he insisted on his innocence. He hid his sins, until the day in 1993 when he confessed the truth to his wife. He says, I don't even know what God has planned for me after such an act. I don't even know how to pray for myself. A few days later, after he confessed this, he died. And Alexander's wife wrote an apology to the black man's widow, a letter that was then printed in the New York Times. He said, Henry lived a lie all his life, and he made me live it too. For all those years, she had believed her husband's protestations of innocence. He showed no outward sign of remorse until the last days of his life. Too late to attempt restitution. Yet he couldn't carry this terrible secret of guilt to his grave, and he spoke it to his wife. The burden of sin and failure is a terrible burden to bear alone. Friends, we need to remember that our greatest need and our greatest joy is God's forgiveness. You have ne- may have never committed a crime like this man has, but you have committed crimes and I have committed crimes. Maybe a different level, maybe they don't seem as stark and as evil as what he had committed. But you and I can find our greatest joy in God's forgiveness for our sins and our failings. And we've started a new year, second Sunday in the new year, and we'll be tempted this year to think that our greatest need is more money, maybe a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a a wife or a husband, a successful career, a, a great body, a trip around the world, a win at the Australian Open, or even the healing of a major illness. And we think that that is our greatest need But we remember today that our greatest need and our greatest joy is being made right with God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the one who offers us forgiveness of all of our sins, past, present, and future. Psalm 32 is a psalm which focuses on the joy of experiencing God's forgiveness, God's protection, because it moves beyond forgiveness to protection and God's instruction. And all of the psalms, we have a variety of types of psalms in your Bible, And uh, this is called an individual psalm of thanksgiving. And it also has some what we call characteristic wisdom literature in the language it uses. When would someone have spoken a psalm like this? Probably during temple worship, during which the psalmist offered his song of thanksgiving in the presence of the fellow worshippers, as we uh, speak it out in this gathering today. Emphasizes sin and forgiveness, it's possible it was uh, connected to the bringing of the sin offering when they brought the sin offering to the temple or with the rite of purification. Nonetheless, what is he saying? The first thing we learn is blessed is the person who is forgiven. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in, in whose spirit is no deceit. They're not deceiving because they're honest with God, right? They don't pretend as if they're perfect. They don't present, present, present to others as if they are perfect, but they are honest with God. The words they use there are three words, transgressions. They are acts reflecting or rebelling against God's authority. Sin designs a faulty action, often deliberate, that misses God's way. Turning away from the true path, missing the mark. Another word is iniquity here. NIV has the word sin. It indicates distortion, criminality, the absence of respect for God's divine will. A crookedness or going astray. He uses three different words to describe in a sense, the totality of our sinfulness and our brokenness. Although he seems to use them as synonyms right here. If God is our judge, he keeps the books, he knows everything we've said, everything we've done. We have to give an account of our lives to him. There's no escaping his justice. We need to be honest with him. And come to him for forgiveness. And when we do come to God, because there may be sins in your life today. And this is not just a psalm. It's not just a story this morning. It's not just a sermon. But if there is sin in your life that you need to repent of as you start a new year, then blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. They're removed. Come to God. Let him remove them whose sins are covered, concealed from sight, no longer there. Whose iniquity the Lord does not count against him or her. God forgives us through Christ's death and resurrection, and he sees us as perfect. Come to him. Don't live a a deceitful life where you cover your sin. Don't live a secret life where you're not honest with God. And Psalm 32, verse 1 to 2 is quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans 4, 6 to 8, to show us that God treats us as righteous, not because of our works, but as a gift of His grace. So forgiveness is God's act of mercy towards us. But John Piper writes this, and I think this is really helpful about sin. I am convinced that until we fear sin and its consequences more keenly, we will not prize our pardon very highly. Say that again. Unless we're convinced and we fear sin and its consequences, the judgment of God, we will not prize our pardon very highly. We won't recognize how good God is, how gracious he is to forgive us our sins. It says the horror of sin and the fearfulness of hell are the only backdrop that will let forgiveness shine for the infinite blessing it really is. Friends, twice in my life, I've almost drowned. I was rescued from near physical death. I cannot explain to you the exhilaration of relief and joy that I experienced. The sense of, I'm alive. No one has to bury me. (laughs) I have life. I was going to hell because of my sin and mistakes and failures and Jesus rescued me by his death on the cross how much more would I to experience great relief and joy? I'm saved now. I'm God's friend. All my sins are dealt with. I have peace with God. I have eternal life. Get what I'm saying? If the saving of an earthly life brings great relief and joy, how much more? Salvation for eternity. Secondly, don't conceal, but rather confess your sins. When I kept silent, and we often do this uh, when we make mistakes, we don't want to talk to God. We don't want to talk to anyone. We sort of were ashamed of our mistakes. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Y- you felt as if God is against you. God is watching you and judging you. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And we know what that's like on a 40 degree day in Australia, don't we? It's like we've got Nothing. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. When we keep silent and we don't talk to God, you think, no, I can't go to God, I'm so ashamed, I've messed up, or, or, or I like my sin. There's people have said to me, well, I keep sinning because I like it. I don't want to turn away from God, I don't want to think about God. I sensed that I was even becoming physically unwell. It's very dangerous and soul-destroying to live with a guilty and stifled conscience, refusing to own up before God about your sinful lifestyle. And what I've seen happen is that people stay away from church and Christian fellowship when they're in this state. They feel a terrible burden. But there are others, and this is the surprising thing, who are at church every week, running ministries, and still continue with secret sin until it is exposed. So I ask, is there any unconfessed sin in your life today? Arrogance, jealousy, lust, pornography, slander, a critical spirit, alcohol abuse, gambling, addiction, lying, unforgiveness, lack of love for God and the lost, vanity, lack of generosity. Take it to God release it to God and let Him forgive you and restore you. Gordon MacDonald is a Christian leader, and he's written an article called The Secret Driven Life. And it's uh, stunning and it's not surprising. He says he grew up in a family, this is what he writes, In my childhood, childhood, appearances were everything. Right doctrine, right answers, right behavior. And what was underneath the appearance was to be kept there, unexposed and unexplained. Just do these things. Don't let people look into your real life. He said, I lived at least three parallel lives in my early childhood, and adjusting to them was a daily challenge requiring cleverness and duplicity. He said, my first was my church life. And maybe as kids are in here, you think, oh, this is my church life. He said, when my father was the pastor, though. A life where I was popular and envied by people. In church, I was known and accepted by everyone because I was the son of an excellent preacher and a beautiful, effervescent musical mother. How lucky I was to have such amazing parents, everyone said. Perhaps you'll grow up just like them. It says my second was in my public school where my grades were really poor and the teachers uh, expressed consternation over my daydreaming and my failure to apply myself. Gordon is smart but scattered, they said. Children in my class scorned me as the kid who was not permitted to do movies, parties and dances because of his religion. The Monday morning transition from church where I was a celebrity to school where I was a nerd was difficult to negotiate, he says. My third life was at home where my parents, who although they desired differently, often quarreled bitterly and systematically destroyed each other's aspirations to be healthy human beings. They never understood each other or knew how to treat the other with dignity and affection. Many times when the family had passed through one of its periodic relational tsunamis, and my father had stomped out the door for who knows where, my mother would say, I can hear it now, you must never tell anyone. This is our family secret. She would continue, I, if people knew about About this, it would destroy your father's ministry. Feeling somewhat responsible for my father's ministry, therefore, I became quite proficient at keeping secrets. Our family survived for a long time, managing to communicate uh, whenever it was necessary that everybody was fine. Only a relative few got close enough to see the truth. And none of us was fine. In our own ways, each of us was growing sadder a little bit each year. I don't know what's happening in your home. I don't know what's happening in my home. Sometimes only you know and the people in your family know the pain, the sin, the brokenness. Go to God. Ask Him to turn it around in 2023. The psalm says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So important. For confession to God, let me say, is not merely admitting our sin is real, but also rejecting our sin as repulsive. Sometimes, oh God, please forgive me for this. You don't really feel how simple it is. Friends, whatever sins I've committed, God thought they were so serious that he nailed his son to a cross for them. Amen. My sins were so serious, even though I take them lightly at times that God nailed his son to a cross to cover my sins. Take it seriously. And so the prerequisite, therefore, of divine forgiveness, I think, is admitting our sin is real and rejecting it, our sin is repulsive. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our hearts or in our lives. How does he forgive us? He says in 1 John chapter 2, My dear children, I write to this so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Friends, that's the good news of the gospel. On January the 8th, 2023, that God through Christ forgives us and atones for our sins. How do you see yourself? What is your primary identity? The author, uh, Brennan Manning, came up with the slogan, I am the one Jesus loves. Pick this up for a moment. Want you to know how much you're loved by God, despite your, your failures. And... Uh, at a seminar he was speaking, he referred to Jesus' closest friend on earth, the Apostle John. You'll know in the, in, the, in the Gospels, he's identified as the one Jesus loved. And Manning asked, if John were to be asked, what is your primary identity in life? He would not reply, I'm a disciple, an apostle, an evangelist, the author of one of the four Gospels, but rather he would say, I'm the one Jesus loves. So what would it mean if we came to the place where we saw our primary identity in life as the one Jesus loves. See, sociologists have a theory of the looking glass self. You become what the most important person in your life, wife, father, boss, thinks you are. How would our lives change if we truly believed the Bible's outstanding words about God's love for us, expressed in the cross, if we looked in the mirror and saw what God sees? Brendan Manning tells the story of an Irish priest walking on a walking tour of a rural parish. And he sees an old peasant on the ground kneeling by the side of the road, praying. Impressed, the priest says to the man, you must be very close to God, he says. The peasant looked up from him and he smiled and said, yes, God's very fond of me. Like that. God is not just very fond of you. God loves you deeply. And he sent his son to die for your sins, to restore you to God. He loves you more than anyone else. Loved by God. But beyond the area of having your sins forgiven, the psalm then moves on to praying and experiencing other blessings of God. Not only the blessing of forgiveness, but also the blessing of protection. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You'll protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. There's something about when you're in a right relationship with God, your sins are dealt with, God then pours out further blessing upon your life. That seems to be this. God, not only does he forgive my sins, he will deliver me, he will protect me, he'll lead me in the way forward. Very important. And then, fourthly, in verses 8 and 9, it says God will provide instruction and counsel. He forgives, he guides and protects us in life. But he doesn't just protect us, he teaches us how we should live, how we should uh, move forward. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. The Lord's reply to David is found in these verses. They're the kind that uh, in a public setting might be delivered by the priest at the temple. God promises not only protection, but instruction and counsel for how we should live. Blessing of direction. And friends, when you start a new year, it's important to seek forgiveness, to seek God's protection, but also seek God's guidance. And one of the ways you're going to do that this year is by being immersed in the Word of God, going to the Word, to hear God's Word, to read it daily, to gather in home Bible study groups. If you'd like to, you like, know, haven't been in a group, you'd like to join a group and talk to us about that, we'll try and connect you up with the group that will start first week in fe- first second week in February. But we want you to be listening to the word, reading books about the word as well, and uh, coming to church to hear the word. Let God instruct you through <coughs> his word by his spirit. And uh, <coughs> Paul, not Paul, I mean, David puts it this way don't be like a dumb, stubborn mule. That sounds offensive, doesn't it? Oh, Carefully, I'll say that to you. Don't be like a dumb, stupid, stup- stubborn, stubborn mule. It says, do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by a bit and bridle or they will not come to you. And he's trying to describe the person who is stubborn, who won't come to God for forgiveness, won't come to God for guidance, won't come to God for protection. See, said, don't be stupid. The adulterous man who refuses to repent. The young woman abusing alcohol. The deacon in the church with a critical and angry spirit. The young leader who always criticizes and puts others down. Whatever your sin happens to be. said David... The psalmist was like a dumb, stubborn mule until he confessed his sin to the Lord. He said, don't be like I was. Because when I was dumb and stubborn, like a mule, I felt the weight of God's judgment upon me rather than liberation and freedom. And finally, as a result of coming to God, sins forgiven, protection and guidance, he says, trust and rejoice in the Lord. Many are the woes of the wicked, that was our kids verse, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Unfailing. God is there. God will not let you down in his unfailing love. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Now those you who have been forgiven, you have a right relationship with God. Now rejoice in the Lord, seeing all you who are upright in heart. You start with a serious message this morning. You think, oh, I came to church and we're talking about sin and failure and judgment. You come through that. You get to restore to right, right relationship with God. You know that you are now cleansed by Jesus' blood shed on a cross. Then you rejoice. I said earlier I've saved twice from near drowning. And it was great rejoicing afterwards. I was saved at the age of 15 from my sins, and I became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there has been great rejoicing ever since. Don't be a dumb, stubborn mule, but rather come to God while he may be found. Amen. Let me pray. Lord God, we do come to you. You are a great God with unfailing love, with mercy and grace, willing to forgive those who are contrite and humble and confess our sins. Lord, will you create in us the character of Jesus, we pray this year. As we come to you for forgiveness and restoration, we pray for transformation as well, that we would hold on to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He died for us, that we don't have to die, but we can live forever with you. Lord, if there are secret sins in our life, help us to give them up, to confess, to repent, to turn from them. And Lord, if we need counsel and support of other brothers and sisters to overcome these sins, help us to be honest, not to keep them secret, but to let someone know about them that we will get the help we need to overcome. We thank you, God, for your unfailing love. We rejoice in you this morning and we seek your glory in all things. Amen.